0: Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, broadcasting from home and wishing everybody, as always, a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever or wherever you join today's podcast from. And welcome along to today's show, and welcome along to today's guest. Let's cut straight to his high-tech, super fancy studio, and we welcome to the podcast for the first time, Mr. Anthony Vade. Anthony is the Director over in North America for the Event Design Collective, GmbH. Anthony, a very warm welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. Thanks, James. It's great to be here. Um, I've been really enjoying all your content, so it's an honour to add to that, hopefully. Absolutely. I, I'm bringing a, a, a very international flavour to the podcast today, Anthony. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, where you're from, what your background is, and where you're joining the podcast today from.
1: Oh, it's a long and storied history. This may be an entire podcast just in and of itself. Uh, but um, originally, I've got a strange accent, as many people notice. Originally from Australia, spent about half of my career in the events industry down under, uh, running shows in uh for, for, for a couple of great companies down there. Started out in the theatre, got into concert touring and music festivals, uh, helped the, a company down there build out their corporate portfolio as well from an, an event production standpoint. Then I immigrated to Canada, where I've been for the last 10 years, uh, sort of traversing the, the, the Canadian market some time in, in uh, Vancouver. Now I'm based in Toronto. Uh, worked for some some very large audiovisual companies helping them with uh, from a sales perspective and a technical direction perspective, putting on lots of different kinds of shows for lots of different kinds of stakeholders. And over the last few years, uh, I've really moved into the design field, uh, got, got, got involved with the Event Design Collective while I was working for an AV company, uh, spent a lot of years developing that with them. And uh, at the start of this year, shifted my focus 100% to the Event Design Collective uh, and we uh, basically champion the event canvas design methodology to allow event professionals and event owners to communicate on a more level playing field, understand each other deeper, connect with their stakeholders in an intimate way and, By deploying the methodology in our form of design thinking, get better outcomes for their stakeholders at their events, uh, more measurable outcomes, and uh, better team cohesion so that uh, we, we build stronger bonds and stronger relationships through event experiences.
0: And, and that um, event um, canvas design methodologies is something well a I've scribbled down immediately because I, I know that that's clearly something that straight away our listeners are going to be screaming at you know down their phones saying well what is it what 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 is that that you've just said so uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into that something yeah. else that I wanted to ask and uh, for anybody who's watching the video of today's podcast on eventinternews.com, um, after your name it says c e d maybe not a job title, you know, that the people are familiar with. Tell us a little bit what that actually stands for and, and how it came to be.
1: Yeah, so so CED stands for Certified Event Designer. Uh, one of the things that, that developed through, through the history of the event canvas and the methodology was we recognized that uh, it's all well and good to have one, but you also need to educate people on it. And you need to be able to recognize when people have a competency level to, uh, to really deploy the methodology that, that you can trust and rely upon. So a lot like there are CMM, Certified Meeting Managers, or certified uh, CMP, Certified Meeting Professionals, um, CSEP, Certified Special Event Professionals. Uh, the CED designation, Certified Event Designer, uh, is a way of identifying those who understand the event canvas design methodology, how to deploy it uh, to a competency level that they are... Uh, capable of facilitating the methodology, not just understanding it, but actually being champions and leading other people through the design process with that, with that level of competency as well. So we partnered with the Event Industry Council, the EIC, uh, who also takes care of uh, several other industry designations sort of as an oversight body. And they worked with us f- to create the Certified Event Design um, Designation so so that we could then recognise people. We have about um, five hundred CEDs around the world, and it truly wow. is global, all, all over the place. And we've had about thirty seven hundred or thereabouts people go through some form of training and are on their road to a, to eventually attain their CED.
0: And and something that you know our, our keen-eared listeners will have picked up on what I introduced at the very beginning is it's the event design collective GMBH which anybody who knows their business suffixes knows that that's, that's a German company so that the history clearly of the business is in Europe and in Germany if I'm right in assuming that um, tell us how it, it, it how this methodology then began presumably in Germany and how it's then grown into where you are now in Toronto over in Canada.
1: Actually, funny, it didn't develop originally in Germany, despite the uh, business title, and it's actually headquartered in Switzerland. Uh, right. to, and to make it even more complicated, if that wasn't enough for you, um, <laughs> the founders who, who, who developed the methodology are from the Netherlands.
0: I love this already.
1: Um, yeah. So we truly is a global organization. And I'll give you a real quick background. Um, three three very, very uh, intelligent and forward-thinking individuals. Um Rule Friesen, Rude Janssen, and Dennis Lara um, identified in the sort of early 2010s that there was no real defined uh, de- design methodology specifically for the events industry. Everybody mm-hmm. kind of did their own thing, right? We had creative organizations that had some forms of design thinking. They were all, diff- you know, some were using business model generation, yep. a bunch of different th- stuff out there, but nobody had really, really cracked the code for designing events using design thinking. Um, so they started looking around and researching they spent many years looking at all the different methodologies that that exist out in the world and started to think okay which bits of these fit our industry how can we adapt and and to develop um and they're very very inspired inspired by business model generation and the guys from strategizer who have the business model canvas Um, Mm. and they saw that we've got to be able to crack this and do this for the events industry and so they spent a lot of time prototyping, like all great designers do. Uh, and what came out of that was the event canvas, the single sheeter that, that allows you to communicate through three phases of design, uh, to understand the change that you're trying to create with your events, to define the framework and the constraint that you need to design within, and then start designing with time. Start looking at experience journeys and instructional design. And they started testing it and started rolling it out with a bunch of different clients around the world to, to, to design events. And then that led to them honing it and perfecting it. And it's it's constantly evolving. I tell you, it's, not, it's very different to 2014 when they first launched it because good prototyping, things evolve. <laughs> uh, but around 2015, they recognized that it's great to have a piece of paper, but you need a way to explain it to people. So they released the event design handbook. Yeah. The step-by-step process for using the event canvas and also uh works to define the language of event design and how do we uh, talk about event design and how do we communicate with our stakeholders
0: and and i should point out to anybody who's listening to today's podcast go over to eventindustrynews.com and just have a little look at the video because we've we've got some great visuals anthony's been holding up the, the 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 book that is just referenced, the manual is just referenced, but also in the background you'll see the event canvas that, that he's just been talking about. So it's well worth if you're listening to today's podcast to just hop onto the website and check out the video version as well because a lot of what we're talking about will be put into perspective. Something that that sprung out at me straight away was when you said that they, they spent time developing and refining and perfecting and it's the word perfecting that leapt out at me then because whilst this is clearly a great method that's been developed in order to aid the design process for event organizers can you ever really perfect it or is it just a constant ongoing refinement process
1: yeah it's i mean like everything um that's of purpose or meaning right we're trying to bring Mm -hmm. about change so we're trying trying to change the way that people design events for more for more intentional more and more purposeful outcomes and when you're designing things for human beings Human beings change constantly too. So, uh, when in any time that, uh, and this is this is something that that's deep in me, and what and what drew me to the, the methodology specifically is we, we're constantly revisiting and say, okay, what's changed in the world? What's changed in the way people approach events? What's changed in the event ecosystem in general? Like obviously, we've had the biggest change our industry's ever seen in, in the history of the industry over, over the last uh, over the last eighteen months, and I just coughed, which is kind of. I don't know if that was or something, but, you know, we, we recognize that, you know, it's not the same as it was. And the only constant in life is change and you need to be ready to adapt and to evolve with that. So the methodology, although we trust the system and the process that that, that's been put in place, it's always open to looking at ourselves again and going, okay, what's changed in the world? How do we adapt to this? what still is true and absolute in, 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 in the methodology, and then how can we make sure that if we do create any changes to the system or the process, it does have long, long-term, long-reaching benefits, not just appeasing
0: short-term wants. Mm, absolutely. So, just to give people a bit of insight as well into uh, maybe reveal some of the magic that happens in the background uh, when we put these podcasts together is that I will always, you know, receive emails and exchange some messages with the guest uh in advance with some potential talking points. um And, and something that again jumped out at me, Anthony, when when we looked at some talking points ahead of today was a point that you said we're fate, facing the challenge of the events and tech mindsets collision. Mm. Now that that jumped out at me i suppose for a number of of reasons most of which i guess will be obvious to a lot of people listening to this podcast is that there has been that collision particularly in the last 12 months um between live events and tech event operators and particularly people who've so deeply embedded in the live event production world who've suddenly been faced with um using technology as a means to deliver events that they've never done before there has been a huge collision there and i was wondering if you could just maybe expand a little bit on what you meant by that as a a particular talking point and some of the issues that people are actually facing at the moment when it comes to that events and tech collision
1: yeah and and it's an interesting time and and we spend a lot of we've spent a lot of time in the event design collective thinking about this and and we talk a lot about digital dexterity and how the industry was forced to up their digital dexterity. Uh, the, the the event design collective, as a global organization, everybody remote working was in digital space long before the pandemic forced us into it. So we were kind of already living in that mindset a bit. Uh, but what we noticed, it was really hard to get people into a Zoom meeting back then uh, because <laughs> you know they they never downloaded, they never accessed it. So that's been an interesting part to see that forced collision of the of the event. Uh, planners and the event owners uh, adopting a digital first mindset. But what we saw in that collision was was the difference between the two industry segments and the way that they think about, uh, in particular, uh, offerings to the market. So uh, the example I I like to give in the event tech space uh, and in tech in general, uh, the, the idea of design thinking, agile development, rapid prototyping, and the evil Minimal viable product. Um, <laughs> is, you know, and, and that's what that's what drives forward the tech world. Like the minimal yeah. viable product, get it to market, get it out there quick, get people using it, find the bugs and the flaws, fix them, and iterate again and put out another product. Now, event planners, event producers even, um, and certainly event owners, that's very foreign concept for them. They like, I, I, I use the word and now I really regret it, perfection uh yeah. um, they like <laughs> the flawless execution they hold themselves to now i think they're bullshitting themselves most of the time because i i've done thousands of shows and i i cannot fit th- i can maybe one was close to flawless mm-hmm. i mean i knew things went wrong backstage that no one else saw but realities, events are never totally flawless and if they are you're missing something uh you yeah. haven't seen the yeah. actual problem that existed um and I think we as an events industry in the collision, the problem that happened early in the 2010s came from people, one side of the industry, very comfortable with an MVP. Let's just get a new platform out there. Let's make sure that that platform uh, is, is enough and and then let's fix it as the client use it. And instead, the plan is coming going. What do you mean it's not complete? What do you mean there may be a chance of technology failing me? I, that's not acceptable. It needs to be flawless. Yeah. And so we've had to bridge this gap and and i think it's a great opportunity for event professionals in general and in particular the planner to to adopt this prototyping mindset to go okay maybe i need to rein in what we're trying to achieve minimize what i actually put out there so minimal viable product not trying to do as much but then test measure and iterate and then
0: and and prototype prototype so we because we believe events are never-ending prototypes of course yeah absolutely where, where do you stand on, on on levels of redundancy when it comes to to tech because if you look at the live event scenario for example you know if, if if i'm putting a wireless mic on a stand in the center of the stage then i know for a fact that i've got a wired mic hidden underneath the monitor so if that goes down i can throw out a wired mic easy that's my redundancy that's yeah. my tech redundancy in a live event scenario have we overlooked at the moment having tech redundancy built into our planning. So we we choose a platform to do something and we hope that that's going to work, but we don't have any redundancy to have another platform built in somewhere. I appreciate there's a cost to that, but is tech redundancy something we should be looking into? If the flawless execution is important to you, yes. And we've
1: battled this in live production back, way back before the pandemic too. Right. We were, and yeah, sure. We'd put that $25 microphone, wide microphone under the wedge. But as soon as I said to a client, by the way, you probably want hot backups of projectors and I'll give them to you at 50% off so that we can make sure that if they mm. fall down, it's immediately back up there. And the clients would say, Oh, I can't afford that. You're oh, yeah. Well, they should be free. Cause if the projector fails, then that's on you. Well, eh, is it because you turn down the, the, the redundancy and the projector on the floor, in the box, the cold backup, you know, maybe that'll help us for the afternoon session, but you're still going to have a period that it's down. So that's mm. part of the challenge in redundancy is who shares responsibility. Uh, yeah. It's been pretty one-sided as an industry. And I think it comes down to that mindset. It's that there's this, and I don't want to get too deep into it because I get overly passionate, but <laughs> We're not, we haven't been a cohesive industry. It's been a supplier and a buyer market, and there's been a power dynamic there that hasn't really enabled great collaboration and co-creation because, because of that competitiveness between the two uh, mindsets. Um, but I think redundancy, like the first, I, I did a whole web series at the start of the pandemic for the company I was working for. Every single time we went live, we had, we had, the computers up and running we were doing our, our, our streaming into the platform and we all had our phones in front of us with an old dial-in number to, to a phone conference call line so that if something went wrong with my microphone they could quickly switch over to the conference call line if my computer went down at least they had audio to continue things through so yeah that's cheap that that's the 25 dollar microphone sitting under your fallback wedge
0: mm.
1: uh, equivalent and i think if we're not we, we, I've noticed a lot of stop doing that. Um, yeah, and, and if we want that flawless, then we need to be willing to invest a little bit in some of those forms of redundancy. Now, secondary streams, absolutely. Do we need? Do we need extra, extra, extra redundancy? Probably not, because I think our audiences are a bit more forgiving than they've been in the past too. When it comes to virtual events, and I think our platforms are more stable than they were in in. in April or even March. Yeah. yeah. So do we need as much? No, but should we have something? Should we at least have a plan? Like if I dropped out now, could James pick it up and wait and pad and fill things out until I got back online? Or Mm. there's ways outside of technology to be prepared for redundancy um, that, that don't necessarily mean adding to things. It just means designing for that moment, and being and and as uncomfortable as it is to sit around a table or around an event canvas and say, "What do we do when things go wrong?" It's not a comfortable conversation to have. Having it before the moment happens is
0: absolutely. much more
1: valuable than in the moment and panicking.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And and you know, I've been there. And sometimes you only learn to have those conversations because something has gone wrong, and you think, "Right, that needs to never happen again." How do we mitigate that in future? Yeah. You know, you, you can you can Forward plan problems and issues, but you know, I, I've had it before. You know, awards events, video doesn't work, and it's got all of the nominees and shortlists built into that video. The video fails, and we realized there was no backup in the presenter's script to, for the presenter to maybe cover that failed video by actually reading aloud that particular category. We learned the next year we had a backup script on standby with a runner next to the stage ready to go. If a video failed, you know, the backup script was there ready to go. Of course, once you have that backup, it never fails again ever, but, but you will, you will then always do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what, what we, it's always, it's, it's always a more uncomfortable conversation and generally people run away from the conversations or try and shorten the conversations in, in post mortem. After mm-hmm. the things happened, everybody's super uncomfortable and there's some, sometimes it's a bit combative. You know, mm. it's very easy after the fact to start pointing fingers and then run away from the conflict because human beings don't like conflict. We like cohesion. We like to come together as communities. It's what let us evolve to where we are today. So yes. as soon as that opportunity comes to start pointing fingers, the tech failed and it's your fault. <laughs> we're not ready to then dissect exactly what happened. Whereas if we do that messy conversation in the front end before the problems occurred, how will we deal with this in the moment? There's better alignment and cohesion if, and when the problem does come up because you shared the redundant plan with each other ahead of time. Sure. Um, it's going to be much, I mean, and, and I've, I've forced conversations. We've, we've had issues, uh, you know, with tech way back in events, cause it, it happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and we've gone into meetings with clients who, who have said, you know, well, uh, post-mortem and they're there. Our aim is to get a refund or to get money off of you for that, for that problem. And then through talking through the problem, we've recognized that the responsibility was shared, that yeah. it wasn't just the piece of equipment that went down. It was the planning we put into it. It was the design that we shared. It was them turning down the redundancy because of the cost or elements like that. And so through that difficult conversation, and it was really uncomfortable, um, we, we could get all that stuff out on the table and build back that mutual respect rather than mm rather than it being a one-way dialogue that, that really widens the chasm between between the buyer and the supplier, again, compounding, you know, that,
0: that, that, that division that, that I mentioned earlier. Absolutely. I, I'd love to go back to the, 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 the concept of the event canvas design methodology because it, it it fascinates me and, I, and I'm constantly drawn to the picture just over your right-hand shoulder um, where we have an example of one of the event canvases on, on the wall there behind you. Um how difficult was it when creating this methodology to strike that balance between something that was detailed enough that offered a full insight into the event but simple enough that anybody within the team could understand quickly you mentioned three phases how how long or how difficult was the process to actually bring things down to three phases you know were there five to begin with that eventually you know evolved and was streamlined down to three i'd love to know how you got it to the the fine balance that it presumably took to get it to where it is today.
1: Yeah, so so it's it's three phases and fourteen blocks. So uh, and and the reason that we broke it down into three phases and we could make the entire conversation about this, but uh, the the reason that it was broken down in such a way is because we recognize the different contributors, different people involved in events have different vantage points to how the how that event creates value. So the way that the owner sees the event versus those executing the event the delivery team is very different and their perspective their vantage point and their and and their their sort of aims through that are different and we need to address each of those levels of hierarchy within the event ecosystem in a mm-hmm. unique way so by breaking it down into three phases not only could we guide the team through the steps within the process uh, we could also make sure that we developed the right narrative the right story mm-hmm. about how the event creates value for its stakeholders for each of those levels of hierarchy so if we break down the three sections because we won't have time to get into the 14 blocks sure. But if we break down the three sections, the bookends of the canvas, the the two outside uh, columns are referred to as the change. So we're talking about before the event occurs, how are the behaviors of those stakeholders as it relates to the event? What are they looking to achieve? Um, What are they walking in? What is their emotional state? What are their goals before the event? And then on the opposite side. How do we aim to change those after the event? How are we transforming that stakeholder, the way they behave, the way they think, feel, say, and do things in the world? That kind of thinking, that sort of entering and exiting and changing behavior is really, really relevant and really important to the C-suite, to the senior executives in, in business and in organization. They're the ones with the long-term goals and the uh, you know the 10,000 feet thinking. they got the five, 10-year plans. In, if, if we move inside from the change bookends of, of the canvas and we look at the uh, at the sort of two blocks at the top, two blocks at yeah. the bottom, and the two triangles left and right, we call that the frame. And that stuff, that that's really the constraint. What do we need to design within? What's the budget? What's the time? What does the event need to do for those stakeholders in order to create that behavior change? And what does it promise them? Why should they even get involved in the event? That's the stuff that really... Um, pr- provides pr- provides the limitation, but also mm. the opportunity to hone in and and craft in what change we can actually create. Managing frames and constraint is really important to people in middle management, the director level type people who who are responsible for quarterly budgets, team performance elements, and they're reporting up to the executive that's got that sure. ten thousand feet thinking. Right, so. Yeah. In understanding those two elements, all of a sudden, we can allow the executive to understand the director's perspective and vantage point a bit better. The last phase we call prototype, and I've already said, I already espoused the need for the industry to to embrace prototyping. That prototyping is the hourglass, and there's a reason why it's an hourglass shape, because, because we believe that we are designing time. Time worth being involved in, time worth contributing to in the event. So, The top section is the experience journey, all the touch points you have with that stakeholder from the day you decide to have the event into the weeks, months, years, however long you project out afterwards. And the bottom part of the hourglass is the instructional design. If we're going to change their behaviors, we need to teach them something. We need to inform that that, that change in behavior. And so by incorporating instructional design to experiential moments, we allow them to, to connect more intimately with that instruction and with that uh, motivation and influence so that then they can shift their behaviors and change them and achieve what the executive wanted the hourglass and prototyping i'm sure you're already guessing and the listeners are already guessing that's really important to the teams that are coordinating and putting the events together that's their mark of success and and their measurement through things and it's also by understanding communicating that prototype phase and really when it comes down to actually designing the event that enables them to communicate what they're doing, understand what's important to the directors, and then communicate back up to the, to the senior executive about how what they're doing in the
0: hourglass relates to creating the change that the organization needs. Mm. And when and when you're talking about communication and going through these different levels of, of hierarchy within a client's organization, um, again, referring to some of the conversation points that, that you and I exchanged before this, you, you talk about Conversations that matter and why a shared language is necessary for alignment and progression. And that shared language, I think, is is a really interesting point, because. uh, I mean, a case in point in the UK, we've had a serious issues where government and and people who are making decisions based on covid restrictions, etc., didn't understand why. A major festival had to cancel in January that wasn't due to take place in June. They didn't understand that it took five months to build the thing, that the guys putting up the fencing to create the perimeter around that Greenfield location had to be on site in February in order to make that happen, uh, event happen in June. And to me, that's how I interpreted that point that you raised in email before today's podcast, was that, you know, that level of understanding, that language, being able to communicate to people who maybe don't understand how an event works, why these elements are important and why you know a budget needs to be actually assigned yeah. so many people are still hesitant to actually give you their budget because they don't want you to know how much you've got to spend because they're worried that you're going to go completely cavalier with their budget and 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 bring ridiculous things in but it's so important that you, you they understand what you're talking about and why their communication back to you has to be clear as well I'll I'll share a
1: funny story with you. I went to a, a site inspection with a with a potential client way back. This is in the mid two thousands, and we turned up to the site. It was a big entertainment complex in Australia, um, and it was my I'd had a couple of phone calls with with the prospect, but I hadn't closed the business yet. So I went in and I asked that question because you know every tech provider, every AV company loves the hey, what's your budget? How much do I have to play with here? And, and, and I asked them, you know, I asked them that very question. I probably wasn't gentle enough. I wasn't nurturing enough because I was young and you know, <laughs> reckless. Um, but I, I asked that question and her response to me was, well, if I tell you that, you're just going to spend it. And my response to her, and this is probably why I lost the business, was, yes, that's the point of a budget. <laughs> I throw my hands in the air, yeah, yeah, and, and 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 she looked at me very angry, and I said, "If it makes you feel better, tell me your budget is twenty percent less than it is actually, and then I'll I'll provide services to to, to that budget, which which is pointless because I know it's twenty percent more." And I'm going. to <laughs> Why do we lie to each other? Why do we play these games? Um, most of my most successful clients in my in, in my twenty plus year career. Um, We've had very open and honest, transparent conversations about budget, and that's why it's in the event canvas to bring this stuff up and have the conversation, because not having the conversation only widens that chasm. Um, And if you can't trust your partners to respect your budget, to work with you in your budget, they're the wrong partners for you, and you're going about forming partnership
0: relationships in the wrong way. Absolutely. And coming back to that um, shared language and understanding as well. I'm yet to work with any sort of AV company or supplier to an event who doesn't want to do a really good job. They want to do the best job possible. And I know for a fact when I've given budgets to people and said, look, there's your budget. That's what I need. I need sound, light. You know, I know that they always say we've thrown a few extra boxes of stuff onto the the truck. You know, we've just invested in these new lights. We want to get them out. We want to see what they look like. These companies have a professional pride in what they do and what they deliver. And if you actually give them a budget and you're honest about that budget, what I have found is in most circumstances, you'll actually get more than, than, than what your budget on paper would actually get from that company on their price list. You know, that's how these companies work.
1: Now, imagine this. Imagine you as the event owner or the event designer or the event planner, whatever title you, you want to put on yourself. Imagine you have a one-page narrative that, that, that explains exactly how the event represents value to its stakeholders, and you deliver that to your suppliers and your providers and say, hey, love your recommendations, love your solutions and your products within our budget, within the constraint outlined in, in, in that conversation or the narrative, mm-hmm now read this and know that this is our north star this is where you as my supplier and my partner in delivering this event this is what we need to achieve then come back to me with technology so if you have a new light and you want to throw it in great i'm all for it does it achieve the narrative does it create the change that the event does it contribute to creating the change that the event needs to be otherwise you're putting extra stuff on my show for no reason whether you're charging me for it or not yeah. And you should be able to say, as the tech provider, whether it's a platform, whether it's software or hardware, you should be able to go back to the client and say, hey, I'm helping to contribute to, the, to, to this goal of your event because I understand your narrative. Now, so often, RFPs go out to suppliers that give very vague overviews of what the event is and what it's for, very, very high level. And they put one paragraph saying, we want three different ideas from you, and it's got to have wow factor. Now, wow factor, you know
0: wow factor isn't 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 an outcome um, yeah but yeah but i've 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 gone wow at many mistakes <laughs> at <that event. laughs> yeah what what is wow factor because there's been many times where something has completely gone to ratchet and you go wow and, and you know the wow other- is not always a good thing this is this, this also
1: grinds our gears in the event design collective the other thing that, that 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 every supplier thinks that they need to ask clients is they go into a meeting and they say, what are the objectives of this event? Right? It's just kind of that that that's been the running talk track for many years. <laughs> now tell me what the objectives of the event are. Events don't have objectives. Stop saying it. They never have a Japanese and they never will have objectives. The stakeholders who attend the events have objectives right events on their own can't bring about any change and can and can't improve anybody's life in any way unless they're directly linked to the change that occurs for those stakeholders and we need So to-
0: you're facilitating the objectives of your stakeholders.
1: Correct. Yeah, the event is a tool, a mechanism to create change for those stakeholders as they are associated with the event. The objectives
0: of the event don't exist so that's the stakeholders or an audience at a gig or the exhibitors at a trade show or the delegates at a conference seeking to enhance their education and understanding of a particular industry that they may be working in. Do
1: you want to know how we define an event? Please do. We just refined it in our in our latest book, which is Designed to Change, uh, <laughs> which is, if the first book, uh, the event design handbook, and was about the methodology and the language, the new book's about the conversations you have to have about events. Um, and so we really looked at, okay, what is an event again, because we defined it one way and we evolved it a little bit in the second book, but basically we define an event as being any gathering of two or more people or groups of people who, who have something uh, at stake or they, we could call them a stakeholder and -hmm. their behaviors changed. So they have to be transformed in some way. Otherwise it's some sort of gathering It's not really an event because an event we believe is a marker of change over time. Mm -hmm. When you look back and go, Hey, I attended something that was big and impactful, whether it's a concert or whether it's a conference or a yoga retreat, or even an anniversary dinner with my wife at a nice restaurant. We all in those scenarios have something different at stake as it relates to the event. And we have all come out of that experience changed in some way. I'm, closer to my wife after uh, celebrating that, that scenario. I'm more relaxed because of my yoga retreat or I learned something at a conference. There's some transformation going on there. So if, we, if it only needs two, and obviously most events have more than just two stakeholders, um, but if, if that's the low bar of entry for understanding an event, you can certainly see that there's many opportunities to, to design more impactful change and to recognize that we need to connect with those stakeholders, whoever they might be, through all those levels of hierarchy, interest, and power to make sure that even the smallest moments, the dinner of two people or the 20, 60, 100,000-person conf- uh, conference or uh, concert will bring about some change. Mm. And
0: and this this brings us full circle, you know, as we, as we sort of come rattling through to the, to the end of today's chat and, and today's podcast to the whole need to get the design element right and why your event canvas method will work for people because they've then got something that they can present and use to talk to all of those stakeholders clients suppliers contractors whoever they're bringing in to help facilitate the delivery of their event that event canvas is going to help them communicate the correct message to the right person correct and start that work up
1: front you know don't don't let it be messy and confusing the whole way through you did, from, from strategy through to execution and post-mortem. It, the, the less structure and less process we have through how we create events, the more distractions come in from left, right, and center as different stakeholders contribute their, their wants. Um, by putting that effort, by assigning time, team, and space to design before you get into planning, before you really start to put, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's like all planners yeah. love to do, you put the energy and effort up front to make sure that the design part Uh, really addresses this this deep, intimate understanding, um, both of the change and the frame. And then when you move into prototyping, you get one, we want to have multiple options. You want to prototype more than one event option for people. And by the way, not having an event is always a viable prototype, cancel the event, right? So by designing multiple, we're more likely when the event owner looks at multiple prototypes to go, I think that one, Resonates with us. I really like that element. Let's go ahead with that, and let's measure, and let's let's measure through the execution if we achieve that change, so that next time we do less design work up front because we did the hard work this year, and we can start to iterate and start to improve on on, on those stakeholder outcomes.
0: Mm, absolutely. We've been talking on the podcast today for, to, uh, with Anthony Vade, certified event designer as we have learned in the early part of today's podcast but more importantly director north america for the event design collective um and i always know a great episode of this podcast i mean they're all great in their own little way but when i've not looked at the clock at all and i glance over it as i did about a minute ago and go crikey (laughs) um we're we're, we're way over time but as i said that's always a good sign because that means We've been chatting, we've been talking, we've been concentrating on the content of this conversation and it's been great to talk to you. And it's also one of those where I kind of feel a little bit aggrieved that I've got to wrap it up because I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about. But this is your first time on the podcast, Anthony. So we'd love to have you back on again. Let's stay in touch and come and talk to us again about some of the stuff that you guys are up to because it's been fascinating to find out you know, even that little bit of what you guys can do. And I feel it's really important before we do wrap up to um, once again, reference the video version of this podcast. If you're listening to it, fantastic, but hop over to eventindustrynews.com and we're going to pop a few banners on, on screen now, just with some stuff, uh, useful links. Anthony, perhaps you can talk us through some of these. First of all, we've got the download link there for uh, edco.global.
1: Yeah, look, we are really passionate about, about getting this methodology in front of people. So so if if they go to this uh, edco.global forward slash download link, you can download a Creative Commons version of the event canvas to start exploring it, and we'll even give you the first 100 pages of the event design handbook to help you understand that canvas and start to think about d- deploying it. So that's all free of charge. You can do it
0: today. It's pretty much instant access to those resources. Fantastic. And the next little link that we've got for people is at AV Connecting. Presumably this is for all of the, the, the social media feeds, Twitter, Instagram, things like that, Anthony.
1: Yeah, so that's where I exist on social media. I'm on pretty much every channel. I'm a bit more diligent with some than others, but I'm always dropping out extra content there. You can keep up to date on my different uh, speaking engagements around the world as well. So uh, I, I, there's, there's a big, big repository of different content on 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 all those channels that you can dig through and please connect with me follow me reach out Let, let's have a let's continue this conversation around this content on
0: social media Fantastic. And the final uh, links that we're going to pop up on screen now is hashtag event canvas and at design to change. Um, Again, social media hashtag there. But tell us a little bit about at design to change, Anthony. Oh, Actually, sorry, that's that's hashtag design to change. Uh, Hashtag design change. My fault.
1: So 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 basically hashtag event canvas is the is the. is, is the tag we use for all of our Event Canvas practitioners around the world. So they all share their different designs and their different processes. So, so we uh, re- really collaborate on, on that hashtag uh, around the actual doing of the Event Canvas. Uh, and it's a great little collaborative space. So tons of content online to explore there. And Design to Change is aligned with the new book. So there's a lot of new content coming out. And as I said, that's about the conversations you need to have with event owners, with executives, and how do we talk about... The outcomes we create our process so that it really resonates with people so if you check out design to change there's actually Design to change.online which we've uh, which we've put out with the uh, book as well which has a whole layer of omni-channel experiences so if you get a copy of this book not only do you get the hard copy of design to change to read it's got augmented reality layer on top of it it's got an audiobook format that you get for free and there's a full podcast series and video interview series that goes along with it as well. So like there's so much content that it's almost too much for everybody out there to, to, to dip their feet in. But if they visit that
0: uh, edco.global slash download, that's a good starting point. Fantastic. And, and who says that we don't offer great value on this podcast here? There you go. Loads of stuff for people to follow up on today, um, but loads of really good stuff and loads of stuff that is undoubtedly going to help people um, with their own progressions. You know, we're in a, a challenging, but, a really opportunistic time, I feel, for the event industry now. You know, we're at, you know, a new dawn. You know, there's all sorts of cliches being thrown around, but they're cliches for a reason because, that, you know, they're true. There are loads of great opportunities for people to maybe reset their old ways of thinking, to look at new ways, new ideas to inspire them in how they put together and design their events. And Anthony, it's been great to get a little bit of insight into how you guys help those organisers to do that. And uh, I would urge all of our podcast followers today to go and check out some of those links that the guys have been good enough to share with us and find out what they can do to help. Um, Of course, if you are listening, as I've said several times today, you're listening to this, and it's great to have you on board, we hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, but do go and check out the video versions of this and all of our other podcasts over at eventindustrynews.com, and of course, if you have been watching this today on the video stream on eventindustrynews.com, first of all, I feel I need to seriously up my home podcast studio game because I'm being massively outshone in recent episodes by the quality of of some of the guests and the setups that they've got Um, and Anthony has absolutely crushed me today, I'm going to have to get some better screens behind me I'm going to go big on the production values going forward so keep your eyes peeled Um, and uh, we should also say a big hello this afternoon to Mabel the dog who has uh, joined me again on the podcast. She often sits in on these. She loves learning about what's happening in the events industry. And as you can see today, she's particularly excited about today's topic. Um, So yes, thanks again for being joined by Mabel, the dog. Um, Thanks guys for listening. Anthony has been joining us from Toronto in Canada. It's been great to have him on board and I'm going to see everybody again on the next issue of the Event Industry News podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. (music) Bye-bye.